Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew. Well, that's different, isn't it? Going all the way from Genesis to Matthew. Matthew chapter 8. Let's do Matthew chapter 8. I want to talk about Jesus cleansing a leper. You know, we're going to move on from Joseph. I could have spent a lot more time with Joseph. We could have talked about what he did with his brothers, and we will one day. How that they came over there during the famine, and the tricks that he played on them, testing them to see their faith, and to see if they have changed since the time that they had uh, turned him over to that uh, camel train going to Egypt. But I thought six weeks was enough to go without talking about Jesus. I wanted to get back and get grounded on our Lord again. And in chapter 8, begins a sequence in the next two chapters of nine miracles that he did. Three sets of three with a little bit of discussion in between. And chapter 8 begins with the healing of a leper. These were miracles that only God could do. They were given to us to build faith, we'll say in a moment. These were his business cards. Whenever he would go into an area to be able to get people to understand who he was, he would do these things to prove that he was God. And then that would be his card that he leaves behind that says, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I am who you have been looking for and praying for. I am here. The reason for them, John tells us in John chapter 20 and verse 31 He says that many other miracles and things did Jesus do in the presence of his disciples. But these are written so that you might believe that he is the Son of God. And that by believing in Jesus as the Son of God and in his name, you might have everlasting life. So that's why these are here. So it's very important for us to study these and to learn them because you and I want everlasting life. We want that faith that builds and leads up to our walk that we go on to. So let's go now to Matthew chapter 8 if you're there. And we'll begin with verses 1 through 4. Where it says that Jesus came down from the mountainside. Large crowds followed him. Then a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand, and he touched the man, and he said, I am willing, be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, go tell the priest, and offer up the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Wow, that's it. Did you know the shortness of? of a story like that confirms that this was written by the Holy Spirit. I mean, can you imagine if you or I had done something like this, how much we had wrote about it? I mean, five, six pages just to show what we did and tell it. But the Holy Spirit chooses four verses to say we came from a mountain. A leper came before him and Jesus said, I can, and he did. And then he moves on to the next part. That shows the inerrancy and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here. And the rest of us can look at that and say, that's it? Four verses? Well, let's call the worship team back up. 
let's, let's get on with the race today. Let's go on home and get out of here early, <laughs> right? You guys know that I don't let you off the hook that easy. <laughs> we're going to take a Sunday drive. You remember we used to all go for Sunday drives when we were kids? Let's take a Sunday drive. We're going to go through the book of Leviticus too. So if you want to go ahead and turn there and get prepared, keep your place marked in Matthew 8. But Leviticus, the third book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, we're going to be in chapter 13 for a moment there. Chapter 13 of Leviticus goes into great detail about how to recognize and diagnose leprosy. Great lengths. We'll be in Matthew 8 and Leviticus 13. Here we're going to find out what God tells Moses to do to see it and what to do about it. Leviticus 13, starting in verse 1, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When anyone has a swelling or a rash or a shiny spot on their skin that may be a defiling skin disease, they must be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons who's a priest. And the priest is to examine the skin. And if the hair that grows up within that skin has turned white, and the skin disease appears to be a little deeper than skin depth, then it is a defiling skin disease. When he announces, examines that person, he is to pronounce him ceremonially unclean. But if the shiny spot on the skin is white, but does not appear to be more than skin deep, and if the hair in that section has not turned white, but is still its natural color, then this is not a defiling skin disease. But we are going to isolate that person for seven days to watch over them to see what it does. And on the seventh day, the priest is to examine them again and see if the sore is unchanged or if it has done something else. If it is not spread in the skin, the priest is to announce them clean that it was only a rash. There's two, I skipped one. There's two times that he does this over a 14-day period. The first seven-day period, then the second seven-day period. And after the 14th day, if it is not spread, if, if it has not turned the hairs white, then it is not a defiling skin disease. You are clean and you are released back to your area. But if the rash does spread, verse 7, in the skin, after they have shown themselves to the priest to be pronounced clean, they must appear again. And if the priest is to examine the person, and if the rash spread, he shall pronounce them unclean. It has become a defiling skin disease. When anyone has a defiling skin disease, they must be brought to the priest. The priests examined them. Now, that was one that was not obvious that you were going to watch and see and check. This one here is an obvious skin disease. It says in verse 10, Now the priest examines them. There is a white swelling in the skin. It has turned the hairs white, and there is a raw flesh and swelling. This guy waited too long from the examination period. He's already got it going on big time. So verse 11, it is a chronic skin disease. 
The priest shall pronounce him unclean at that point. There's no need to isolate him for those two seven-day periods. He's already unclean. So as you can see, the Holy Spirit, as directed to Moses, makes it very clear there's a lot of things going on to make sure that we can diagnose and understand and see if it is leprosy or not because it is a debilitating disease. Verse 3 says if they do have it, that they are ceremonially unclean. And what that means is that you cannot worship God with the assembly of people as they gathered together. You were not allowed to do that because you're contagious. You've got something, and when people are gathered together, it can spread to all of them, and it will become a plague. So you have to separate that person out. And one of the biggest gatherings of where it could happen was when they would worship. So they said, you are ceremonially unclean. You cannot go to worship there. Look down now at verse 45. What it does to those who have been pronounced unclean and ceremonially unclean. Look at what they're supposed to do. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. Let their hair be kept unkept. They must cover the lower part of their face and they are to cry out, Unclean! Unclean! And as long as they have this disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside of the camp of the people of God. Wow. That's terrible. That's horrible. Think about how you would feel if you contracted that disease and you had to do these things. To cry out anytime someone came close to you that I am unclean and I can't go and participate in the worship service. Why? Because leprosy is devastating. Leprosy is highly contagious. It's debilitating. I want to show you a few examples other than the first one we had of leprosy that I found on the net to show you how debilitating this is. It is passed on by a microbe called Microbacterium leprae. That is how it is passed on. They have found out now it's a microbe. It's a bacterium. The form that has been come down today 2,000 years later is called Hansen's disease. They don't know if Hansen's disease is exactly the same thing that went on in Jesus' day because diseases morph and change and do different things. So but all we know is what we have left over is called Hansen's disease. It's communicable by a cough. When somebody coughs... If you are in the vicinity and you breathe that in, that's how you get it. And by the running sores that is on the flesh with contact, or if you have contacted something like furniture, your clothes, your bedding, and someone else contacts that and has some type of an opening or a sore, it's passed on that way. Isn't it amazing that modern science figured out how it was passed on But God, 2,000 years ago, already knew, and he said, cover your face. They have to have their face covered all the time so that if they would accidentally cough, it was held within and could not be passed along. And you isolate yourself away from folks so that you do not give it to them as well that way. So God made it apparent how 
bad this disease was, how it was transferred, and that's why he had to put these stipulations that seem kind of harsh, but he did it to protect everybody else. Then it says a leper had to make himself easily recognizable. You had to be able to be recognized by everyone. You don't do things, you keep your hair unkept. You tear your clothes into rags so that when people see you coming, they understand exactly what you are. If they don't, and they're not mindful, you cry out, unclean, unclean, to make sure that they know to stay away from you. How did people who did not have leprosy feel about those who did have leprosy? Well, in the Talmud, which is like a commentary that the rabbis wrote on the word and on the living that they did in that day, there's a couple of comments that they write in there. One of them says that you are not to get within six feet of a leper, but that's on a calm day. On a day when the breeze is blowing, do not get within 150 feet of them. 150 feet. Stay away if there's any sign of a wind so that you don't catch anything that they have. You don't go near them. But God did this for a purpose in it all. Because for you see, leprosy was the most graphic illustration that God could give to us of what sin is like to Him. Leprosy is used through the Scriptures as an analogy to sin. Sin defiles the whole body like leprosy does. It goes below the skin. It's not just skin deep. It's ugly. It's loathsome. It's incurable except by God Himself. So you are to separate yourself because sin separates. And it separates you from God. And so that's why you're ceremonially unclean. Every leper not only lived with the stigma of the disease and the pain of the disease, but he also lived with the fact that I am a walking, screaming, unclean person, a representation of sin before God. I am wretched, and they were commanded to shout it. One of the rabbis quoted in the Talmud talked about leprosy, and he said, when I see a leper, now this is your leaders and your teachers, and he said, when I see a leper, I throw stones at them to make sure they don't come at me. Another one said, I wouldn't so much as eat an egg that I purchased from a street vendor in a street that a leper had ever walked in. That's how they felt about this. That's the stigma of this disease. And so as you go back to Matthew chapter 8, and we read again and start expounding on those first four verses, I give you this foundation, and I gave you all of this to tell you that the NIV's translation of these first couple of verses is not right. It's right in effect, but it doesn't give you the sense of what's really going on. Because what's really going on is dread and fear by Matthew whenever he writes this. He says this in verse 2, if you look. Verse 1, we're coming down from the mount. What mount? The mount where Jesus had just talked about the Sermon on the Mount. Chapters 5 through 7. It was a camp meeting. We had church camp. 
singing kumbaya, everybody's happy. Man, this was great. We're all pumped. We're all ready to go out and tackle the world. And then we come down, and as we do, verse 2 says, A man with leprosy came and knelt before him. No! The word in the original, the King James captures it, but it says, And behold! It's a word of exclamation. It's an exclamation point. It's like saying, Yikes! Aichiwawa! Can you believe it? A man with leprosy is approaching us. That's not supposed to happen. He is not supposed to do that. They're supposed to go the other way. And so what it is, Matthew knows all about the fear, the dread. He knows what they write, what they teach. You've seen the pictures. You don't want the disease. So you see one coming to you. It's, ah, you can't run. You know, here you go, you singing kumbaya, and it ends with, ah, let's run away from here. So it's fear, it's panic, it's behold, this leper is coming towards me. That's what's being captured here. Something really outrageous is going on. It's not the normal conduct. They're not supposed to do that. And I can imagine, if you will, that that crowd that was singing before him just split. I imagine just like the Red Sea, it was parted, people left, and I believe that that leper had the undivided soul attention of Jesus right there. Because no one else wanted to be around him. And so he comes and he approaches him. Because he knows with confidence, I think, that he is a believer in Jesus Christ. That he has heard enough and saw enough by what's been happening. That he is a believer and he doesn't believe that this rabbi is going to throw rocks at him. And drive him away. And so he comes. He casts aside his thoughts of personal pride. Of being out in the public. He comes near and he says, I know you can make me clean if you will. He worships him first. But he, he's come, he's afflicted, and I see a man at the end of his rope. I see a man that's done this because he has realized where he is at and only God can help him. And I believe that this man is God and I'm going to take my incurable thing that only God can take care of, and I'm going to cast myself before him and allow him to do that. He wanted help more than he cared about his reputation. I want you to let that sink in a minute, because he's going here hollering unclean as he's approaching all of these folks. He wanted help more than he cared about his reputation. I hope today, if you need help from Jesus, that you desire help more than you care about what anyone else thinks about that. More than your family, your friends, or whoever. If you need help, don't worry about who else will think what. You follow the example of this leper and you come to Jesus today. I see a man who wanted that. Next, I see humility and reverence in this man. It says that he worshipped him. He hid his knees before him. Luke chapter 5. 
He was a vile sight, I'm sure, because in Luke chapter 5, Luke was a medical doctor, so he usually gave a different spin on things like this. And Luke uses a word that says he was full of leprosy. This is a man who's had it for a long time. And so some of the things that we saw is what he was. And he came and he prostrated himself before him. He was abounding in leprosy. He was full of it. But he said, I worship you. I bow down. So I'm saying, don't look at the outside of the person. Look at the inside. What was his heart like? What was the man's heart like when he came to Jesus? He wanted to worship him. Proskuneo is the word for worship. Pros means to do something towards, and kuneo means to prostrate and kiss forward. So whenever you worshipped someone who was God or a king, they were the only two who were worthy of this. It was to bow yourself before and to kiss towards them in humble worship and obedience to them and to humble yourself before Him. That was the heart of this man. He hit his knees before he ever asked for anything of himself. He doesn't approach and saying, I'm a leper, make me clean. He approaches and says, you are the Son of God. I am going to worship you And then he says, I know that you can. I know that you have the power to be able to do this. And so as we look at this man, we see his heart. And you guys know by now that what you are is not what's on the outside. But it's what's on the inside, isn't it? As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. So this man had his heart in the right direction. And he says, Lord, when he worships him. Lord means ownership. Lord means the master and owner. Do you know that when you come to Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that He becomes the master of your life? You know, everybody wants Jesus as Savior and to take us away from condemnation. But a lot of folks grudgingly hold back on that Lord thing because we don't want anyone to tell us what we have to do and what we have to be. But we were bought with a price. We were bought with the blood of the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And that blood that purchased you, when you come to Him for that forgiveness, says, now you follow me. You are giving yourself over to me, and I am your master. And He says, Lord, if you are willing, I know that you can do this. You have the power. When it says you can do this, the word is dunamis dynamite lord you have the power you have the ability to make me clean if you will i like that you know a lot of the tv preachers today they will say god's going to heal you they're faith healers and they say you've got to claim a verse and you've got to take it before god and you've got to throw that verse in god's face and said lord you've got to do something about this because of this now Here's the example. The example is that you fall before Him in worship, acknowledge Him as God, and you humbly approach Him in prayer, and you say, you are sovereign. Your will is what matters. I hope your will is to make me whole. You can do it. I know you can. But it's if you are willing 
And I am now humbling myself to your will, and I pray that it is. And you stay away from those kind of folks who tell you to claim this and to do that. And don't be seeking after those faith healers. The Scriptures tells you what to do. First, it tells you to do what this man did. Come humbly to him in prayer and acknowledge that. Second, if it's really bothering you, it says in James that if there's any among you that is sick, you call for the elders And they will anoint you with oil. They will pray with you. And it's not the elders. It's not the oil. It's the faith that you are now devoting. That if it is God's will that heals you. And that's the proper scriptural way to do it. And none of this other junk that's out there. He says, I know you can. Look at verse 3. Jesus' reaction to the humility and the worship of this man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Wow. And then it says Jesus touched him. I think he needed that. I think he really needed to be touched. You know, being ceremonially unclean and being outcast, living by yourself, he needed that touch. That's not the part that I'm interested in. The part that I'm interested in is that Jesus did it on his own. That was his own choice. He could have stood back up on the mountain And pronounced him unclean. A little bit later, the next miracle, I believe, he's going to say, you don't have to come to my house. All you got to do is say the word and he can be healed. So this is an example of the compassion and the love that our Savior has for us. He didn't have to do that. He chose to do it. Only God can perform a miracle like this. Nobody else would take the chance of their reputation if they couldn't do it. And do it. And he reaches out and he touched him. Look down at verse 15 for a moment. What did he do with Peter's mother-in-law? It says he reached out and touched her hand. Our God is a God of compassion. Our God is a God that wants to reach out and touch you. Whenever you are ready for him. Immediately it says that it went away. And then it says... After he was a new creature. Because don't you know that as he began to touch this man and tell him he was clean. This miracle was a miracle of creation as well. You saw it. The fingers, the hands, the organs. New fingers, toes, organs were created in a second. In a split second. This was a miracle of creation that only God can do. And he says to him in verse 4, See that you don't tell anyone, but you go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. You say, what? Don't tell anyone? Can you believe that? What would be the first thing you got to do if you had been in that situation and in a moment... You were clean. I got to tell somebody. I got, I'm going to be jumping for joy and telling everyone. You know what the first challenge is whenever Christ has made you clean when you've become a Christian and pretty much in your daily walk every day? You know what the biggest test is? Obedience. <laughs> Obedience. First thing he tells him was something tough. Not that hard, but just go and make sure you don't tell no one. So obedience how your walk is. That is the biggest challenge now that it came to him. He's, 
He didn't fulfill it. Luke tells us that he went and he told a bunch of people. So he's like us. He couldn't do it. But that was, that's the challenge every time is obedience then to the word of God and how you're supposed to live. You were bought with a price. He is your master. This man desired to be cleansed. That's another area. He wanted to. To be cleansed, you've got to want to. You've got to decide for yourself that you're going to. Now, Leviticus 13, we saw the rules for how to diagnose this situation. Now, I want you to go back to Leviticus, but to chapter 14. Because chapter 14 gives a whole new spin. Chapter 14, the scroll for Leviticus 14 would have been dusty. Because 13 is often used to be able to tell how to pronounce it and how to diagnose it and what to look for. There was many lepers in Judah. But chapter 14 tells what to do when someone is cleansed. That scroll hasn't been used for several hundreds of years because only God does it. Jesus himself said that in the days of Elisha, there were many lepers in the area, but only one, Naaman, was ever cleansed. This doesn't happen. He was a Gentile. He didn't have to go to the priest. This scroll has collected dust and set there, and it should have been, Jesus said, you go and show yourself to the priest, don't tell no one, and offer up the gift that Moses commanded as what? A testimony to them. The priests were now getting the testimony to be able to tell the people God is with us. That this is Emmanuel, God with us. Because no one can do this. This scroll doesn't come down unless God has healed someone. And that was a testimony to them that God is here. And they're going to ignore that testimony. Leviticus 14, then if you're there, here's the cleansing. They should know that this is God. And it says, The Lord said to Moses, These then are the regulations for any diseased person at the time of their ceremonial cleansing. When they are brought to the priest, the priest goes out, he examines them. If they have been healed of this defiling disease, the priest will order something. He'll say, bring me two live clean birds, some cedar wood, some scarlet yarn, and some hyssop. And they will be brought for the person to be cleansed. And he will order that one of the birds be sacrificed over fresh water in the clay pot. And then he is to take that live bird and dip it together with the cedar wood, the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop into the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. Think about this picture. Two birds. One of them offered as a sacrifice for cleansing. For the other bird to be used. Hmm, What's that a picture of? Jesus and salvation, isn't it? And what about the water pot? That represents being dipped into. And there's blood and water there for your cleansing. Oh wow, I don't know about you, but I'm getting goosebumps. This is a picture of Jesus to come and what baptism is when we are cleansed from the leprosy of sin in our life. It says, you take and dip it, and then the, and the blood that was killed, and then the two birds, one of them, you take the picture of salvation. You have asked the Lord, if you will, I know you have the power to make me clean. 
I desire that. And you go and you become cleansed. The Lord gave himself up as a sacrifice for us. Just like this bird here is represented. Now, verse 7. Seven times shall he sprinkle the one to be cleansed of the defiling disease. He will pronounce them clean. And after that, he's to release the live bird into the open fields. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. He's been released into the field. Then verse 8. The person to be cleansed will now wash their clothes, shave off their hair, bathe with water, and they will be ceremonially clean, allowed to worship God with the assembly. This, that they may come into the camp. They must stay, though, outside of their tent. They get to come to the camp, but not into your tent, into your home yet. He said, on the seventh day, you've shaved off all of this stuff again. You wash your clothes, you bathe yourself with water, and now you are clean because they've examined you and you are still spotless before God. Before, when you had leprosy, you looked like the world. You were unkept. You walked like the world. You talked like the world. But now that you have been cleansed, it says you're supposed to take all of that off. You're going to look different. You're going to get cleaned up. Your hair is shaved, your clothes are washed, your walk of life is now a new walk of life. You no longer look like the world, you no longer act like the world, you're no longer a part of the world because you've been cleansed from the world of leprosy that you have in and you've been brought back to the camp of God with you. You're supposed to look different. Whenever you're going to get ready, you've been out working all day in the 90 degree weather and you're sweaty. And then you come home and you realize, oh, we've got to go out to dinner tonight. You go in and you what? You get cleaned up, put on your new clothes. And what does the other half say? You look like a new person. Whenever you become a Christian, you are a new creature in Christ. You don't look like the world anymore. You're supposed to look different than you did and to walk worthy of your life. And that's not all. If you're still there in Leviticus, look at verse 14. The priest then is to take, they're going to offer another sacrifice now, and they're going to take the blood of a guilt offering. The guilt of my sin is going to be offered up. And you're going to take the blood of that and put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed. And then you're going to put it on the right thumb and on the big toe of the right foot. And then you're going to take the priest will a log of oil and put it in his hands, and he's going to put the oil on the ear, and on the thumb, and on the toe. And why does he do that? And then he's going to take what's left over in his hand, and he's going to put it over his head and anoint him, and pronounce him to be clean. Blood represents Jesus cleansing, bringing you back in. The oil always represents the Holy Spirit. So now you've received the Spirit of promise. Now, it's a pattern. You say, why all of this? Why the right ear? The right thumb, the right toe. It's a pattern. Leviticus 8. This was the pattern for separating a priest into the priesthood. Whenever you become a Christian, you are now a priest unto God. We are a kingdom of priests and we are sanctified and we are separated from the world and brought into that. And then it goes a little deeper now with these, with these folks 
The right side is your side of power, usually, your dominance. There's a few left-handers, but for most people, the right hand, just like whenever the Scripture says, by the right hand of God, He says He will do this. It's the dominance, it's the power that is there. So, what is the dominant part of your head? The ears. You're going to consecrate that. And you say, why the ears and not the eyes? Well... Because we walk by faith and not by what? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So your ears are now sanctified. They are anointed with the oil of the Holy Spirit. And now you have the ability to hear and to understand the word that is taught to you now on how you're supposed to go. Your right hand is your dominant hand. Hand represents works that you do. Now you are concentrating, consecrating your works to God. It has been now your power is through your hands and what you do. Now you're to be a representative of Christ. And your big toe, that's your walk of life. That's how you go about. You know, it says that we're supposed to walk in a thing that's called the way. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the ends thereof ends in destruction. We are supposed to walk in the way of the Lord. Jesus came and He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by Me. So now my toes are anointed so that I am consecrated to walk in the way, in the path that leads to righteousness. Wide is the path that leads to destruction, but my toe has been consecrated so that I walk in the narrow path that is the path that Jesus tread, and now I am consecrated in my life's walk and the way that I am going to go. As the worship team comes on up and we get ready to close this out, Got ahead of myself. Rob's probably going, oh, where's he at? Because I've just been doing all kinds of stuff here. Okay, this all has a beautiful picture of salvation. What Jesus did for us. Leprosy was sin, but God loves us dearly as compassion. He wants to reach out and to touch us today. If you have never given your life to Him, isn't today the day? I mean, really, how long are you going to stay in leprosy? It's time to remove yourself from that and to get consecrated towards God. For all of us, for them, Jesus says, I will be thou clean. The same thing for those who are a Christian. If you are in need of that as well, I want you to look up here and read with me. Because He has the power to do a miracle in your life today too. If your toes have been walking outside of the way, if your hands haven't been doing it, if your ears haven't been hearing what they should have been, remember in, in our nursery we'll sing, be careful little ears what you hear. If you haven't consecrated yourself so far, here's what you do. This is a promise in the Word of God for those who have already become a Christian. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through uh, 6 through 10, read it carefully. If we claim to have fellowship with God, and yet we walk in darkness, our toes aren't on the path, we lie, we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. 
And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from a couple of our sins. Is that what it reads? Bigger word, isn't it? All. The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. If we claim and try to say that we don't sin, we're only deceiving ourselves. The truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, oh, isn't this beautiful? He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us, just like that consecration of the person with the bird. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us from all unrighteousness. But He expects you and I then to walk in a different path, doesn't He? And not to be like the world. We're consecrated to Him. We're no longer an unkept, leprous person. Your obedience now is what is expected. And to be a witness for Christ. Do you know what, when He says, go and show yourself to the priest as a testimony to them? Your life is now a testimony to those who are out there. It's not my words because I can say one thing and do another. And that's not a very good testimony. But if my ears, my, my hands, and my feet are consecrated in what they're supposed to be doing, then that is the testimony of your life that brings others to Christ Jesus. Whichever situation you're in today, whether you're not a Christian or you are, the main thing is that when you ask, Jesus says, I will be thou clean. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together, the wondrous of your miracles, for what you have given us in this word. Father, I pray that our ears were open. I pray that our hands and our feet will be consecrated in a walk to you. And I pray that you will be glorified in this community by how we walk and serve and that you will be glorified and they will see the testimony to them. Pray that we will be challenged to do these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. of your glory How can our words portray the threat of your majesty But still we praise our Savior in spirit and in truth For we cannot say enough without of your glory How can our words portray the threat of your majesty But still we praise our Savior in spirit and in truth
Wise King. 